Give him some praise. He's worthy. Amen. 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 Well, welcome to Church on the Rock. We are so happy to have you here worshiping with us this morning as we praise our God for He is good and He is for us and not against us. So this morning, as we press into this worship, as we step into His presence, I just want to remind you how good our God is and how no matter what battle you're fighting right now, that the Lord is fighting for you and not against you. Amen. This 
Savior. 
glad we serve a God that's alive. Amen. He took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. I mean, he was in that grave, and he rose again. But the thing is, it said that same power that raised Christ from the dead quickens us. It's in us. And so today, we're praying that power of God is here to meet whatever need you have. And specifically at this altar, our altar team's coming up to pray for you. But this is Labor Day weekend. And I just had that thought of how some people from a young age, somebody spoke something negative over you, and you constantly try to be accepted. You try to work real hard to get people's approval, and that can carry over into your spiritual life where you're trying to do a lot of things to please God. But guess what? There In Hebrews 4, it says there's a promise of a rest we can enter into, but some don't enter into it because they don't mix that word with faith. It's all about faith. It's not by works. We can't do enough to get saved and get right with God. So today, some of you that just have, you, you find yourself kind of working for approval and not being accepted, I want to tell you today, you're God's beloved. You're his child. And some of you just need some rest for some work. You're just working too hard, getting priorities a little out of order, and just come and ask for God's peace today. But especially while you worship, but if you have a specific prayer need, you want somebody to agree with you, they're here ready to agree with you, whether you're sick in your body, you have a decision to make, or there's just something about this rest that you really want God's peace and rest in your life. We'll pray for you. The rest of us, let's just really worship and enter in. And bless the Lord, oh, my soul, oh. Worship His holy name Sing like never before Oh my soul I worship Your holy name The 
Oh 
this morning say God we just want more of you amen come on somebody give him a hand clap of praise he's worthy he is worthy amen why don't you turn around a couple people and tell them how happy you are to see them this morning Church on a Rock. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of opportunities to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you. You can either drop it in the offering or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. We offer Saturday night meals and snacks between Sunday services. And don't forget, the coffee bar is always open. We are so glad you're here and we hope that you know there's always a place for you at Church on the Run. Our new fall semester is here, and our brand new ministry guide full of classes, small groups, and outreaches to help you get better connected to God, friends, ministry, and the world. Open up a ministry guide in the chair back in front of you and find a place for you to grow deeper in your walk with God. The journey of life can be difficult. Here at Church on the Rock, we want to help your journey by connecting you to God, friends, ministry, and the world. We offer four classes on Wednesday nights to help you stay on course in your walk with God. Our Connect class is for anyone new to the church or anyone wanting to get more involved. It is a four-week class to help you learn about the church, help you get connected to God, and learn about your spiritual gifts. The Spirit-Filled Life four-week class will teach you how real friendship with the Holy Spirit can change your life. The four-week freedom class is designed to help you resolve conflict, break bondages, and renew your mind. The leadership class will teach you principles of leadership that you can apply in ministry, business, or in your home. Between our Connect, Spirit-Filled Life, Freedom, and Leadership classes, there is a Wednesday night class for everyone. Amen, amen. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. How many people are excited to be in the house of the Lord? Make a little noise. 
Hey, we, we are excited that you're here. How many people are excited that football season is underway? Fall is upon us. Uh, it's, my, it's my favorite time of year. I don't know about you guys, but uh, just a, a quick reminder, whenever fall starts up, we do have all of our classes and groups starting up. So if you're wanting to get connected on a Wednesday night or throughout the week, you can grab a ministry guide in the seat back in front of you and it has all the information in there. But uh, this morning, I wanted to continue in worship with our tithes and offerings. I want to share a quick scripture with you guys. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, and it says, But as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Some translations of this scripture says, for those who believe in him. And um, I guess it was a few, uh, a few weeks ago, I was actually talking to a member here on a weekend, and we were just making conversation, and I asked him where he worked. And he said, uh, you know, I've been out at Red River for 40 years. And uh, I started thinking about that. I was like, man, that's a, that's a really long time. And he said, you know, way back, he said, I was in my early 20s. I had just gotten saved. And he said, I didn't really have a great job. And I was praying for a good job. And he said, I remember praying um, to, to the Lord. He said, man, I, I said a prayer. And all I said was, uh, Lord, if you bless me with a good job, I'll tithe every check for the rest of my life. He said it was a simple prayer, but just a couple weeks after that, he said, I got on it at, uh, at Red River. He said, I've been there ever since. And he said, I've tithed every check I've ever received since then. And that really kind of spoke to my heart. And if I'm not going to say this, this guy's name, but this guy, he lives a blessed life. Man, his family is blessed. Everything that he does in ministry is blessed. And it kind of reverts back to this scripture. Whenever we believe what the word says, whenever we act and we apply to our life, whenever we give tithes, when we give offerings, when we're obedient to God, man, He opens up, man, what we can't even imagine, things that, that we can't comprehend. God wants to bless His people. So I want to encourage you guys uh, to continue to give. And when you give, man, we turn it into ministry, and uh, we're, we're thankful for a giving church. And uh, we just, uh, we love you guys, and uh, we, wanna, we want you guys to be blessed as you give this morning. I can feel it drawing near, oh God, 
glad you serve a God that's alive, that loves us, that cares about us. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, good to see you today. Amen. Amen. Can we give it up one time for our worship team? Pastor Nick and the team always doing a great job. Man, we are excited that you're here this morning. We believe God's got some great things in store for our, the rest of our time together. Uh, my name is Travis. I am the young adult and youth pastor here at Church on the Rock. Been here a little over nine years and uh, just honored to be able to speak with you and share with you this morning. Uh, if you hadn't heard, Pastor John is out of town. He's hanging out with his family, him and Miss Linnell, and, and we just believe that they have a great time and uh, get refreshed and all those things. He'll be back next week. Don't you love your pastor here? Amen. Got a great pastor. And again, we are glad that you're here. I'm taking it from, uh, since you're here, I guess uh, you didn't have a boat or a lake house for a Labor Day weekend. I'm just kidding. I'm glad everyone is here. It is Labor Day weekend, and uh, uh, just glad to be in the house of God. But today I'm continuing a series that Pastor John started about a month ago entitled The Power of Yes. And this whole series has been about amazing things happen when I say yes to God. How many people believe that? Man, when I say yes to God, good things happen. When God tells me to do something and I do it, good things are going to happen. When God tells me not to do something and I don't do it, right, like he says, good things are going to happen. Listen, how many people know God wants us to have a better life than we do? He really does. God wants us to be more fulfilled. He wants us to be more blessed than we even do. He wants you to be more successful than you do. And I'm telling you, his plan is good for our life. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 16, verse 19. And uh, last month when Pastor John began this series, this particular story that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke really sticks out to me. And it's been on my heart. It's been heavy for the last month. Uh, I shared this scripture with a connection over the last few weeks. But I want to read it to you today. And I'm reading from the ESV, chapter 16, verse 19. And it says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And in his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died, and he was buried in Hades, being in torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Verse 24, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Last verse, but Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Now, hopefully every person in here, you're familiar with this story. You've read about it in the Bible during your daily Bible time sometime during the year. You have went through a lesson in Sunday school. But this story to me is very alarming. Is it alarming to you? 
uh, we have two characters in this short story that Jesus tells. Number one, the Bible says, is a rich man. We don't know his name. I find that interesting. But this rich man seemed to have everything. He had material things. He had a lot to eat. Ultimately, though, he dies, and he goes to a place separated from God, to a place called hell. And you can kind of grab from that that this guy tried to fill his life with things that really didn't matter. He tried to fill his life with material things. And ultimately, he didn't have a yes in his heart to God. He said no to God. Then you have another character in the story. His name's Lazarus. I think it's interesting that the Bible lists his name, but not the other guy's name. In this world, Lazarus didn't have anything. But when he died, he went to be with God. And obviously, we can assume from that that he said yes to God, that he found true fulfillment in the things that God wanted him to, and he had a yes in his heart. You know, and as I've read this story, it's just so interesting. The guy that has everything ends up with nothing, and the guy with nothing ends up with everything. And what's been on my heart the last several weeks is just, it's made me stop and think. And the question that I keep asking myself, and I'm going to propose to us this morning as we begin, am I only living a life right now for the here and now, or am I living for something greater? Is my life right now just centered around myself and what I can do, what I can achieve, what I can accomplish, how much money I can make, what kind of experiences I can have? Or am I living a life right now that's centered around things that really matter? Am I trying to fulfill my life or find fulfillment in my life with things of eternal value or things that maybe the world deems important but really in the kingdom of God aren't as important? Listen, am I living a life right now centered around Jesus? Am I living a life centered around being obedient to Him? Am I living a life centered around loving people and helping people and giving and building the kingdom of God? Or am I living a selfish life? And I'll be honest with you, I have a tendency to kind of lean towards the selfishness. And when I read this story, it makes me evaluate my life. What am I living for right now? And that's a question I want us to start with. What are we living our life for right now? Are we living for God? Are we living just kind of going through the motions? Are we living for ourselves? Listen, if we don't think about these things, we can live our whole life and just concern ourselves with the things that are here now on this earth and not eternal things. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be a life of significance, a life that I do things for Jesus. Anybody else in here? Amen. Hey, I'll be honest. I'm going to preach really fast if I get some feedback. You know what I mean? I told service last night, I'm like, if I can get some amens or some hallelujahs or preach it white boys, like, we will move along, you know? Mr. Jones, I'm counting on you. Okay, amen. Here's the deal. Here's what I want us to focus on uh, today. When I say yes to God, I am fulfilled. Look at your neighbor and say, I am fulfilled. I believe every single person in here wants to live a life of fulfillment. You want to live a life of significance. But the real question is, how do I do that? Everybody wants to be fulfilled. Everybody at the end of their life wants to say, you know, I lived a life of significance. But how do we do that? So uh, at the beginning of, for, since the beginning of time, uh, people have searched for significance. People have searched for fulfillment in different things. And maybe that's things or achievements or accomplishments. But how many people know true fulfillment only comes from Jesus Christ? True fulfillment only comes when we're in relationship with God and we're saying yes to the plan that he has for our life. And a lot of times we try to hold so hard onto our life, but God wants us to give us our life because he knows the best way to use it, right? So as we look at how we can become truly fulfilled, um, I want to look at four different points tonight through the life of a, a God named Nehemiah. And we're going to look and see how Nehemiah found fulfillment and how he found significance. 
significance. Uh, Nehemiah was a, a guy in the Old Testament that God used him to rebuild the walls that had fallen down in Jerusalem. But Nehemiah is also a story, if you read the whole book, of renewal and revival to the Israelite people. The Israelites had fallen away from God, and Nehemiah brought a revival, if you will, to Jerusalem and to the Israelite people. And I'm telling you, all over the world, all over the country, all over Texarkana, people are looking to be fulfilled. And listen, Christians, we need to know where true fulfillment comes from. And uh, what we're going to see through these points is if I do these four things, I will live a fulfilled life. I'll make a difference in my life, and God will use me in a great way. Amen? Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1 is where we're going to begin this morning. Uh, As you're turning there, let me pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you that you love us, that you have a plan for our life. God, I thank you that you want every single person in here to live a great life. You want us to be fulfilled. You want us to live a life of significance. God, this morning, would you show us how to do that? Would you show us how to live for you? God, I thank you that your word does not return void. We bless you in Jesus' name and everybody's sin. Amen. Before we get into the word, how many people in here like to travel? Most of you, okay? Some of you are bummed out that you're not traveling today, okay? Understand. But a lot of us like to travel. I like to travel. Uh, I'll be honest, it was a lot easier before I had a few kids. Anybody, can you testify? Like, I, I feel like I had more time. I had more money for sure. My kids are pulling me. They're amazing. But just going, like, to McDonald's is a task when you got a couple kids, right? So anyways, uh, we like to travel, and a few years ago, we got the opportunity to go to Indy on a mission trip uh, with the church. About 20 of us went and had a great time, and and while we were preparing for this trip, we realized that there was going to be a layover or a plane switch in London going and coming. So my wife and I, uh, we decided, hey, when we come back after this trip, when we lay over in London, we're going to spend four or five days and just have a little vacation. And so that's what we did. After the trip, we had an amazing time, did some ministry, built some stuff. And on the way back in London, the team went back home, and we stayed for a few days and had a great time sightseeing and doing all that stuff. Well, as we're coming back, we go to the, the airport there in, in London, the Heathrow Airport, and we're we're talking to the lady about to get our tickets, about to check our bags, and the lady informs me, she says, the plane is booked. It's completely full. And so it didn't really register to me, like, okay, it's full. That's cool. I guess we're not going to have extra leg room. And then it occurred to me what she was telling me is the plane is full. I don't have a seat on the plane. Okay, I want you to follow me here. Uh, one of my pet peeves, and if you work for the airline, you know, God bless you. But sometimes people at the airline just, it, it gets on my nerves. Like, I have a ticket. How can I not go home? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you took my reservation. You took my money. I have two seats, supposedly, but now you're telling me the seat is booked. You know how airlines work. I mean, if there's 100 seats, they're going to they're gonna sell 105 of them and hoping, you know, some people aren't going to show up. They want the flight to be booked. So Whitney and I, we're kind of bummed out, and the lady tells us, you know, don't worry, Mr. Mr. Jackson. There's another flight going home in about six hours. Y'all can just wait for that one. I'm like, okay. And she's like, actually, the one tomorrow looks really good. You may have to stay an extra night. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. I'm ready to go home. You know what I'm talking about? I've been away for a few weeks. I'm tired of London. It's okay. I'm ready to get back to Texas. And I'm just kind of bummed out a little bit. And about 15 minutes later, we're kind of waiting around. The lady comes to us, and she has a smile on her face. And she says, I have good news, uh, Mr. Jackson. Uh, A few seats just opened up. We have one business class, and we have one coach seat. And I'm like, yes, Whitney can get in the coach. I'm going business. We're going home. 
My wife's in the back, and she's like shaking her head like, no. No, I was like, Whitney, you're going to take this. We're going to go home. And I promise you, as soon as this lady said it, like literally right after it came out of her mouth, Whitney was like, no, we want to travel together. We want to sit beside each other, okay? How many people have ever had an awkward experience sitting by somebody on a plane? If it's your wife or husband, I mean, it is what it is, right? You married them. Uh, but, you know, you're on a plane, and there's different kinds of people that you can sit beside. Uh, number one is the people that just talk the whole time, and they're annoying, okay? Like, I love you. Everything's good. I do not want to talk to you for 12 hours, all right? Then there's the other type of people that they don't understand, like, personal space. Are you following me? Like, their knees are on you. Their elbows are on you. You know, they're talking to you, or they're asleep before the plane even takes off. They're leaning on your shoulder. You know, so Whitney's like, no, we, we're, it's a 12-hour flight. We want to ride together. And so we're kind of sitting there waiting a little bit, and we wait about half an hour, and and I'm just like, Whitney, let's just go back to the hotel. It doesn't look like it's going to be any good. Well, lo and behold, right as we're getting ready to leave, this lady comes back to us, and she has a bigger smile on her face. And she says, Mr. Jackson, we actually have two more seats that open up, and they're both first class. And I was like, hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? And I was so excited. We, we went back first class, and, and I'll be honest, uh, I don't normally go first class. I kind of have a, a judgment towards people that always ride first class, you know. They make them get on there first you got to get on after them, and you kind of feel inferior to those people, you know. So on this trip, I got on first. I had my lemonade before anybody else even got on. I had already ordered my steak. Life was good. And uh, I was trying to, you know, I was, I was like, Whitney, do we look like first-class people? Like, do we look like first-class people? And well, I'm sure we had on, like, jogging pants or whatever. But I tell that story to, to say this. Sometimes you have to give up something good to get something better. Amen. Sometimes God will call us to give up something good because he has something better intended for our life, right? Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, reading from the ESV, it says this, The word of Nehemiah, the son of Hakalah, now it happened in the month of Shizlev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked him concerning the Jews who escaped that had survived the exile concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. I want to stop here for a second. This period of time that we pick up in the book of Nehemiah is referred to as the Babylon exile. Um, in 538 B.C., what happens is Jerusalem is besieged by Babylon. God allowed the Israelite people to basically be conquered. This happened throughout the Old Testament because of their disobedience. And so what happens is Babylon comes in and they conquer Jerusalem. They actually burn it to the ground. Lots of people are killed. Uh, the city walls are destroyed. The city gates are destroyed. The temple that Solomon built is burnt to the ground. A lot of bad things happen. And so after this, a bunch of the Israelites, they're now in exile uh, and they're under the rule of the Babylon Empire. Well, 70 years later, if you know your history, 70 years later, the Persian Empire conquers the Babylonians. And so what happens is the Persian king allows some of the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem, to the city that had been besieged and destroyed, to begin to rebuild. The Bible refers to three different waves of Israelites that went back to Jerusalem to rebuild. The first one was led in four or 538 by Zerubbabel. Uh, the next one, 80 years later, by Ezra. Uh, that's a book in the Bible before Nehemiah. And then ultimately, in 445, Nehemiah leads a group of Israelites back to Jerusalem. So that's kind of what's happening right here. Jerusalem, for 160 years, has been destroyed. 
there's been a few waves of Israelites that have went back. So Nehemiah gets word after 80 years of some Israelites being back in Jerusalem, the walls are still down, okay? And look what happens in verse 4. It says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to, the, to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned against you. The end of verse 11 says, now I was a cupbearer to the king. A few more verses. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, in the month of Nisan, which is basically March, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Verse 3, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Verse 5, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And the last part of verse 8 says, and the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of God was upon me. Let's jump into this real fast. How do we live a fulfilled life? Like we said earlier, every single person in here wants to live a fulfilled life. We want to live a life that matters. We want to live a life of significance. How do we do that? Here's point one. If I want to live a life of fulfillment, I need to say yes to a cause. Look at your neighbor and say, cause. Follow me here. Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer for the king of Persia. This guy has a pretty good job. He has a government job. His job basically is when the king gets food and drink brought to him, his job is to test it. How many people think I could do that job? Like, that sounds like right up my alley. Where do I apply for that? This is what Nehemiah, this was his job. He was also an advisor to the king. He had a really good job. Now, Nehemiah, he's a Jew. He's a descendant from Jerusalem. Now, he had never been to Jerusalem, but he's grown up his whole life as a slave in Babylon, hearing the stories of, of the promised land, hearing about the temple, never being there himself. But when word gets to Nehemiah from one of his brothers that had just turned from Jerusalem about the condition of the walls, his heart breaks. His heart breaks for the people and his heart breaks for the condition that they're in. He hears that the walls are torn down and that the gates are messed up and it just breaks him. It's important to understand if you don't have a wall, you don't have a city, especially back in those days. The Israelites, they had come back. They'd been there for about 80 years. They had rebuilt the temple. The problem is they hadn't rebuilt a wall. And so these neighboring tribes, they would come in and they would steal stuff. They would raid stuff. They would kill people. And this happened over and over and over again for 80 years. What I like about Nehemiah is this guy could see past himself. He could see that there were thousands of Israelites that were living a miserable life, and it affects him. Nehemiah has a good job. He has a good career. He has a job with the king, a job of prestige. Yet something inside of him says, I have to do something. I see this situation. I see this injustice, and I need to do something about it. Listen, I know all of us are aware of this, but there's some bad conditions going on in our country today. Do you agree? There really are. Not just our country, but in our city, there's some bad things that are happening right now. There's problems and injustices everywhere we look. And listen, all of us in here, I know you read the paper, I know you watch the news, there's things right in Texarkana that need to be fixed. 
You know, just this year, did you know over a, a million and a half babies will be aborted this year? That's crazy. Did you know that in America, thousands upon thousands of young girls are being sex trafficked into our country? I'm not just talking about Syria with ISIS. There's some problems going on. I mean, day after day, thousands upon thousands of teenagers are getting hooked and addicted to drugs and alcohol and sex. Statistics show that one in two families or one in two kids are growing up today without a mom and a dad both in the household. Guys, we live in problems. There's a lot of problems around us. There's a lot of injustices around us. There's a lot of people that are poor. There's a lot of people that are needy, that are fatherless. That's just in our nation. Think about the, the third world around us. Every single day, people are dying of AIDS by the thousand. Every single day, people are dying of starvation by the thousands, you know? We live in a world where there's a lot of bad things happening, not just over there, but right here, right down the street. And the question that I want us to ask ourselves today is this, what are we doing about these injustices that we see all around us? What I love about Nehemiah is he sees the problem, and his heart breaks for it, and he says, I have to do something about it. He didn't just talk about it. He didn't just pray about it. He did something. He was so moved by a cause that it provoked him to act. He ends up leaving his job, and he goes and does something greater. A problem that I see sometimes in my life and the life of people around me, I see problems, I see injustices, but a lot of times I don't do anything about it. And listen, one of the reasons I think I don't do anything about it is because I have it pretty good. Think about your own life. All of us in here, we have it pretty good. And it's almost like we don't want to get too involved in things because, you know, our life is good. We have a good car. We have a good house. We have food to eat. We have a pretty good family. And it's easy just to look at ourselves and just worry about ourselves while there's a dying world out there that needs the love of God, right? Here's a question to ask ourselves as we live in the blessings of God. And how many people know that we're a blessed people? Man, we are. I'm telling you, the worst off of us in this room are more blessed than 95% of the rest of the world. We really are. And we need to start just thanking God for what he's done. I mean, I know we all wish we had maybe a bigger house or a bigger car. We could eat out at, you know, Outback every single night. But we are blessed. We really are. And I wonder if us living in the blessing of God, we forgot the blessing giver. Who is God? There's a good story to illustrate this found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 41. And it'll be on the screen. It says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. Listen to me. They forgot Jesus. How do you forget Jesus? It goes on to say that it took them three days to get back and find Jesus. They're at the celebration of the Passover, having a good time, enjoying the blessings of God. And during the celebration and blessings of God, they forgot God. They left Jesus. And I wonder if us living in Texarkana, USA, with all these blessings that we have, if we forgot the blessing giver. And listen, I'm not necessarily saying we forgot about God, man. You're here first service on Labor Day. I know you love Jesus. I know you care about God. You read your Bible. You pray. But I wonder if we've forgotten about the essence of what it is to be a Christian, which is to reach out to people. Listen, the litmus test for being a Christian, number one, is if I put my trust in Christ. Have I called on the name of the Lord, right? Have I repented of my sins? But number two, 
I'm a Christian, I can look at my life and say, I look like Jesus, I care like Jesus, I love like Jesus, and I I see a dying world, and I want to do something about it like Jesus did. That's a litmus test. You know, and I wonder if we come to church a lot of times, which is great, but we forget the essence of what Christians are called to do. Let me wrap this up. Does your heart break for a cause this morning? Listen, God wants to give every single one of us in here a cause. God wants to give us a heart, a burden for something, an injustice, something that's around us. I think we see the problems pretty well, but do we do anything about them? Listen, maybe God's never laid on your heart a cause. I'm praying that this morning God would. Listen, when God gives you a cause, it's fulfilling. When God gives you a cause, it's worth more than a $100,000 a year job. Amen? When God gives you a heart for something, I'm telling you, it's priceless. Maybe some of us in here, our schedules have been so busy and our life has been so busy that we've forgotten to check with God and allow God to speak to our heart about something. This leads me to my second point. If you want to be fulfilled, say yes to the plan that God gives you. Listen, the plan Nehemiah for Nehemiah was to go to the king, ask the king if he could leave, ask the king for resources, and then go 900 miles away and build a wall, Okay. I alluded to this earlier, but what has God put in your heart to do? What is the cause that God wants to use you in? Um, Listen, I'm not necessarily talking about a job or a career, though I believe every person's job, every person's career is to bring the kingdom of God to that place. Amen? I believe all of our jobs, I mean, whether you're working at Cooper, you have your own business, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, is to bring uh, God to that place, is to minister to people, is to reach out to people. I believe when we see our job as a mission field, our, our mindset changes, amen? But I'm not necessarily just talking about a job or career, but maybe you're a teacher. And your number one focus is to pour life and educate these students and show them the love of Christ. I get that. But maybe also God gives you a cause that every summer you got two and a half months off. You spend a week and you go, I don't know, to, to Mexico, to these Indian villages. That's your cause, you know? Uh, or maybe you're a businessman. And God's put a cause inside of you to build churches. Maybe you're in college and and you're doing that and you're getting a degree, but maybe the cause God puts inside of you is the sex slave industry and you want to see girls that have been uh, stolen, you want to see them be restored. Are you following me today? I believe God wants to put a cause inside of us. Maybe you're a dad and you work at Cooper and you got a good family and you teach, I don't know, you coach your kid's baseball team, but you see that kid that doesn't have a father that needs to be mentored and your cause for this season is to father and mentor this kid. God wants to give us a cause that's greater than anything else. I'm telling you, a cause will give you fulfillment. A cause will give you purpose. A cause will let you get up in the morning with passion. Amen? Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. And let me be honest, I think that's the hardest job in the world. Oh, my gosh. This past week, Whitney had me watch both of our kids uh, for like two hours by myself. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I don't see how she did it. Like, I will go work 50 hours. That was tough. Two diapers, two kids crying. Like, moms, I don't know how you do it. But maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and your main focus is obviously training up your child in the way that he or she should go because when they're old, they're not going to depart. Maybe it's to instill godly values, but you've got a cause inside of you and every single week you take your kids to serve at Randy Sam's or wherever. Are you following me? The greatest thing, parents, that we could give our kid is not just baseball camp after baseball camp. It's a cause. Mom and dad, we write this check not because we have to, but we want to see these people in Africa get some food and get Jesus, Right? 
What is the cause that God has given you? Um, what is the thing inside of you that you know that God put there? That thing that every time you see it, every time you hear about it, your heart just kind of turns a little bit. Uh, maybe God's calling you to start a small group. Maybe God's calling you to coach uh, you know, a little league team. Maybe God's calling you to support a missionary. You know, we have several people in our church, and I don't even have time to highlight them all, but there's some people in here that I think are great examples of having a cause. Uh, Hope and her Furnished by Faith, we've, you know, highlighted her the last few weeks. But Hope, she has a child. She's raising him up really well. She sings on the weekends, every service. She sings on Thursday and Wednesday. She's doing things at the church, but she has a cause, and this cause provoked her to start a ministry. I mean, she saw she had a heart for homeless people, people that had just gotten a house. And you know what? When people get a house, maybe they need a bed. I don't know. Maybe they need a lamp. If you have a lamp, you need a lamp stand. Are you following me? And that's what God put inside of her. Um, Artie and Karen Rayfield, they have a heart uh, for the homeless people as well. And just yesterday, they were out at the laundromat washing their clothes. Listen, Artie sings all the time. They have full-time jobs, but there's a cause that's greater than that. There's a cause that will get me up, you know, at 7 o'clock on Saturday. Um, one of my friends, Rick Halter, man, I'm telling you, Rick's a pharmacist. And Rick, he's a board member of our church as well. But every single vacation that he gets, Rick is on the mission field. Rick serves, Rick gives, but there's a cause inside of him that says, you know what? I got to go. I got to get out and I got to do this. And he gives up his vacation every single year. What else I find interesting about Nehemiah as if you study this out, it took five months from the time Nehemiah heard about the problem until he did something about it. What's he doing during this time? I believe he's praying. Some of you in here, God has given you a passion for something, and now it's time to start praying. Man, what are you supposed to do about it? Nehemiah, this guy comes to his city, and he has a burden for Jerusalem, but what is he supposed to do? I mean, he's a cupbearer. He's an advisor to the king. What is he supposed to do? I believe he begins to pray, and then God says, hey, I want you to go rebuild a wall. Listen, when God stirs something inside of you, we've got to pray about it. God, what specifically do you want me to do? My heart aches when I hear about these girls that are sex trafficked. My heart aches when I hear about these kids in our city that are falling into drugs and alcohol. Okay, what does God want you to do about it? Begin to pray. The reason God gives us a cause ultimately is because he trusts us. He trusts us. You realize that everything that God does in the earth, he does it through people. Listen, every bit of talent and gifts and ability and time and resources and money that we have, God is giving us to steward to ultimately build his kingdom. That's why he gives it to us. And you will be fulfilled when you use the things God gives you to bless his kingdom. You will be unfulfilled if you use the things that God gave you just to be selfish. We see it every single day. We see people that are superstar athletes, that are pop stars, that are musicians, that seem like they have everything, divorce after divorce, drug addiction, alcohol addiction after alcohol addiction. Why? Because they're using their talents for themselves. Friend, if you want to be fulfilled, use those talents for God. Build his kingdom, amen? That's why I gave it to you. Here, I want to encourage us today, spend some time with God. What is your cause? Then pray about it. What does God want you to do? Um, we've got to learn to be a group of people that not only know how to receive, but we know how to give. I had a friend a few weeks ago that uh, visited Israel, and, and she was telling me some interesting things about the, the Dead Sea. What's interesting about the Dead Sea is don't anything live in it, you know? But what's interesting is there's two different bodies of water that flow into the Dead Sea. It receives, but it doesn't give anything back out. That's why it's dead. 
Don't be a Dead Sea Christian. Don't be someone that just receives. Let's be people that give. Amen? Listen, maybe the reason some of us in here, we just feel like we're, you know, just kind of going through the motions, or maybe we feel depressed, or maybe we feel, you know, just plateaued in our Christian walk. Maybe it's because we're not living with a cause right now. God wants to give us a cause. Moving along. Uh, so Nehemiah, he hears about the terrible situation in Jerusalem. His heart breaks. He hears God's plan. He goes to the king. The king allows him to go. It takes him three months to get there. Let's see what happens when he arrives. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. It says, So I went to Jerusalem, and I was there for three days. Then I arose in the night, and I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do in Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring to the dung gate, and I expected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. 14, then I went on to the fountain gate to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me. Listen, here's our third point this morning. If I want to be fulfilled, I need to say yes to God in rebuilding fallen walls in my own life. Listen, Nehemiah shows up to Jerusalem. The Bible says he didn't tell anybody he was even there for three days. What is he doing? What he's doing is he's going around and he's inspecting the walls, where it's broke down, where it's destroyed, where the gate's messed up. He goes and he's inspecting these things. If we want to be people that do everything that God has called us to do, if we want to be believers that live with a cause, that live a life that's fulfilled, we have to be aware of fallen walls in our own life and we need to fix them. Amen? Think about your own life. None of us in here, especially me, are perfect. A lot of us in here, we have walls in our life that are broken down. Maybe it's a family wall. Maybe it's a marriage wall. Maybe uh, you struggle with depression. Maybe you struggle with the sin. Listen, that wall is down, and God wants to rebuild that wall in our own life. A lot of times, we're afraid to let God rebuild the wall because we've gotten so used to the wall being down. Listen, uh, has anybody in here ever bought a house and you bought this house, obviously you liked it, you loved it, but there were some things about it you wanted to change. I mean, maybe there is some shag carpet, uh, maybe there's a purple wall, I don't know. But you bought this house and you're like, man, we're going we're gonna to change this up, babe. we we got to paint this, we're going to do this, we're going to put this down. How many people know it can become so easy once you get in the flow of life to just live life with the purple wall, with the old carpet? Maybe you do a few things. But ball games and work and things go by and it's been a year and still the same carpet, still the same wall, two years, three years. It becomes easy just to live with that wall or that carpet. I think it can be the same way in our own life. We can get used to walls being down and it's just kind of how we live. Nehemiah, he shows up. And I'm telling you, he sees these broken walls. These broken walls had been down for so long. And the people had just gotten used to it. They had just gotten used to living a life where people came in and stole their stuff. And that's not a good way to live. Listen, have you gotten used to living your life less than? Have you gotten just used to living your life with that sin? Have you just gotten used to living your life depressed? Have you just gotten used to living your life with that family issue? You know it's not good, but it is what it is. Listen to me this morning. God wants to restore you. God wants to fix your marriage. God wants to fix your family. God wants to take that sin away from you. The Israelites got used to living a subpar life, and they didn't have to. What's interesting is Nehemiah shows up. These walls that had been down for 160 years, he rebuilds them in 52 days. 
Listen, some of you in here, these walls that have been down in your life, you think they can never be fixed. That relationship with my kid can never be fixed. That relationship with my spouse will never be fixed. This depression's always going to be here. I'm here to tell you, it can be fixed, and it can be fixed a lot faster than you think. Listen, God is a God that can do anything. God is a God that can restore. Listen, if you have a broken wall in your life, now is the time to fix it. There will never be an easier time in your life right now to fix something that's broken than right now. It's not going to be easier next week. It's not going to be easier next year or in 10 years. Amen? God wants to restore and God wants to fix. Listen, and ultimately, it is God who fixes. God fixes. God will use our yes, and I'm telling you, He will do what God does, but He needs our yes. It requires us to do something, all right? God cares about every single person in here. He loves every single person in here. And he wants some people to know this morning that that issue, that wall down in your life, he sees it and he wants to restore you. Why? Because he loves you. Because he cares about you. Because he wants you to be whole. And he also wants to use you. And I'm telling you, God can do a lot through a broken vessel, but God can do even more through a vessel that's been repaired. Here's the final point tonight. What else I find interesting about those few verses that I just read is when Nehemiah goes to inspect the wall. Look again at verse 13. He says that I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. What place does Nehemiah go to first? He goes to a valley gate, to a dragon spring, and then to a dung gate. If you study this out, Nehemiah goes to the worst part of Jerusalem first. This is where he goes. I mean, just listen to those names that I talked about. They just sound nasty, you know? And then Nehemiah works his way back to the better places, to the, to the uh, fountain gate and to the king's pool. Here's our final point. If you want to be fulfilled, go to the greatest need. You want to be fulfilled, go to the greatest need. I feel like sometimes we want to reach out to people, but we just want to do the easy thing. It becomes easy just to do the easy stuff. Listen, God wants us to do whatever he asks us to do. It's easy when we hear about needs in our community just to say, I'll pray about it. Oh, there's thousands of, of young kids that, that don't have fathers. Man, let me just pray about that. A missionary comes to our church and is talking about China and how they smuggle Bibles in there. Oh, man, it gets your heart. I'll just pray about that. Listen, Christians, we're really good at talking about stuff. We're good at praying about stuff sometimes. We're really poor at acting on stuff sometimes. Sometimes I'll just pray about it. You realize when a missionary comes to our church, they want our prayers, they need our money. Amen? Let me pray about that, brother. Okay, thanks. Can I get some money? You know what I mean? And, and I'm stepping on my toes as much as anybody else's. I hear a lot of problems. I feel sometimes what God wants me to do, and sometimes I just take the easy way out. Y'all, it's time that we start putting our time and our money where our mouth is. We need to realize what God is asking us to do is going to require time, effort, energy, talents, money, and it may be dirty. Amen? Are we willing to do it? God's going to ask us to do things that get us out of our comfort zone. We live a good life. God wants to use us to help other people see him. If you read about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus ministered to a wide variety of people. Jesus ministered a lot to the, the poor, the fatherless, the widows. A good question to ask ourselves is, do we reach out to people like that or do we just reach out to people like us? Jesus didn't just reach out to the poor people. Jesus reached out to the rich people. Listen, when Nehemiah went to rebuild a wall, he didn't just rebuild the wall on the poor side of town or the rich side of town. He rebuilt the whole wall. 
Friend, everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs to be restored to God. God wants to use us. The rich person needs to be restored as much as the poor person. The person that thinks they have it all together needs to be restored just as much as the person that knows they have nothing together. We need to be people that don't care what God wants us to do. We just say yes to it. I go left, I go right, whatever you want me to go, God. The reason I have breath in my lungs is to fulfill the calling that you have on my life anyways. I'm going to do what you want me to do. Listen, here's what I want to challenge us with this morning. This fall, God wants to give every single person in here a cause. God wants to give us a purpose. God wants to give us a heart for a situation in this community. God wants us to just say yes to him. And ultimately, when we say yes to him, we're fulfilled. The man at the beginning of the story, Lazarus, uh, he was fulfilled. Because obviously he said yes to God. The rich man, even though it looked like he had everything, he had nothing. Because he didn't say yes to God. This is a season to say yes to him. This is a season to say, I'm not just going to this fall just get in my routine, but I'm going to allow God to speak to my life, and I'm willing to do and go whatever and do whatever he wants me to do. If Nick and the band can go ahead and come up, I want you to stay on your feet real fast. I just want to pray for you. And, uh, you know, over the last few weeks, God's just been dealing with me about this stuff, and God stirred me to do a few things, but I want to pray for us before we leave. If you will, just close your eyes. And I want to ask a few questions before we pray. First question is, what is my cause? Right now in this season of my life, what is the cause that God put inside of me? What does God want me to do? Maybe you know. Maybe it's reach out to that your, your friends or your, your kid's friend. Maybe it's start a small group. Maybe it's go on a mission trip. Maybe it's support a missionary. Maybe it starts serving the homeless. I don't know. What is the cause God, God's put inside of you? Second question, what is the plan for that cause? Okay, I got a heart for the homeless. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? Here's a third question this morning. What walls may be down in my life? What walls are messed up? Maybe it's my marriage. Maybe it's my kids. Maybe I'm depressed. Maybe... Whatever. I'm telling you, God sees you this morning. He cares about you. What area do I need to get his help in? And I just really feel that God wants to reconcile families. Some of you in here, you have a, a bad relationship with your family, a spouse, a kid. God never intended for you to live a life with that wall down. He wants to restore that. Lord, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you care about us. God, number one, would you give us a cause? God, we don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to be like that rich man and just live for ourselves. We want to live for you. God, what do you want to put on our heart to do? God, we'll do it. We'll say yes to you. God, give us the grace to say yes. Lord, anybody in here that just has fallen walls down right now, I pray that you would restore it. Lord, that you would rebuild families. God, that you would restore what the enemy has stolen. God, you're victorious. You've never lost a battle. God, help us. Help my friends today. Lord, and I also pray if there's anybody in here that's never put their trust in you, God, I thank you that the only way to you is through Jesus. God, you died on the cross so we could be restored to the Father. And I thank you all we have to do is call in the name of the Lord and we shall be saved. Jesus, help us. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want my prayer team to come to the front real fast. If you need personal prayer for anything, we want to pray for you about the message, about anything. 
But during this final song for a moment or two, can we just lift up our hands and our voices to God? Can we just bless God? And let's listen to him. Maybe he wants to speak to us today. Again, the altars are open. If you need prayer for anything, or if you want to put your trust in Jesus today, go ahead and come up. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. Cause I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. Cause I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire. Down in my soul that I can't contain, I can't control. Cause I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be than hearing your love, hearing your love. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be than hearing you love, hearing you love, Lord. Hey, our altars are still open. You can come down for prayer. Hey, let's live for Jesus this week, amen? Let's make a difference. Let's say yes, and let's see what God does in our life. God bless you. There's donuts in the cafe. Set a fire down in my soul, dedicated.